So as today draws to a close for what has been a fabulous event, I hope for all of you, first thing to do really is to congratulate all the amazing and incredibly deserving award winners today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be part of this and to be asked to be part of it as edgy futurists. Uh, I am Paddy McGrath. I am Head of Education Strategy at Texthelp, uh, and I've been fortunate enough throughout uh, the edgy futurists event to be chair of the judging panel. We thought what it would be really fabulous to do just as today draws to a close and as we all reflect on what we've seen and heard today from our amazing speakers and panelists is that we kind of start to now look forward. And so I've brought together all of our incredible judges to join us on a panel discussion. So we're going to stay with you for the next 45 minutes or so and have a look at what we've learned as uh, from the last year and a half and how we're going to take those learnings and how we're going to put those forward. So now we're just going to bring in the rest of the panel and let's meet the judges that we have had on the Edgy Futurist Award this year. And welcome to Lawrence and Bucky and Al, Joe, Jamie, and that's our lineup, I think, so far for this evening. I think uh, everybody's had such a busy day, guys. Uh, I think some people may well have popped out for a comfort break. If they pop back in again later, uh, all good and well, and they can join in the conversation. So listen, I'm looking forward to a wonderful time. I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome right the way now because this is a heck of a lineup uh, that I'm looking at on the screen in front of me. And so what I thought would be useful for those of you watching and joining us today is just quick introduction to some of the judging panel. And maybe, Lawrence, we can start with you. So, Lawrence, tell us a bit about you uh, and what motivates and drives you. So my name's Lawrence Tajani. Um, my background is actually in teaching. I um, taught for 11 years and then left um, education, not because I wasn't happy teaching. It was due to health circumstances that would be on my control. So that was one of the main reasons why I left. But I always wanted to remain as part of education. So I did the education consultancy with training, but that still wasn't enough for me. I missed the interaction with students. So that's where I set up my foundation called Just a Guy Foundation um, that works with um, underserved communities from across the UK. So that's what I'm focused on now. And I'm really um, passionate about young people being able to drive their own social mobility. Brilliant. Thanks, Lawrence. Very inspirational. And Bucky, you're next in the queue there. So tell us a bit about yourself, Bucky. Hi, everyone. Bucky Youssef. Um, I work part time in a school, special school as a senior leader, um, and I do science as well. Um, I love everything to do with EdTech. I call myself an EdTech advocate and enthusiast. Mm. Uh, I've been involved with EdTech uh, for about 10 years. I was a senior leader in charge of enhancing teaching and learning through the use of technology. And basically what that meant was actually enable every student um, to use either iPads or Chromebooks. And I'm involved in lots of different things. I was selected in 2019 by the DfE to be co-chair of the EdTech Leadership Group. A phenomenal, a phenomenal opportunity. And it actually allows me to be involved in national discussions with regards to EdTech developments. Brilliant. And Jimmy? Thanks, Paddy. Um, I'm Jamie Smith. I've got a long history in and around education. So I've worked in universities, colleges and schools as well. These days, uh, I'm executive chairman for C-Learning, which is a quite well-known Google premier education partner. So we work with thousands of people all over the world in about 30 different countries, helping them to be more impactful with technology, basically. But I'm also a director of a large multi-academy trust as well. And Joe? 
Hi, um, so I'm a, an assistant principal at a sixth form college uh, based in Greater Manchester. Uh, and I'm responsible for some, some of our vocational provision, but also all of our adult and our higher education provision. Um, so that includes teacher training. So I've got a particular passion for how we bring new people into the further education sector and you know, training teachers for that sector and, and um, also for adult and community education. Perfect. And last and certainly not least, Al, over to you. Thanks, Paddy. Um, yeah, I'm Al Kingsley. Um, wearing one hat, um, I've spent the last 30 years um, developing educational technology solutions. Um, I'm group CEO of NetSupport. And on the other hand, with my passion and involvement in education, I'm chair of two multi-academy trusts, an alternative provision academy for, for young people that struggle with mainstream education, uh, and also sit on the Regional Schools Commission's Head Teachers Board for the East of England. So a real kind of fusion between the two sides. So my um, my imposter syndrome has just doubled hearing uh, about all of your career. So an incredible uh, lineup of people and I uh, really appreciate your time, both on the panel up to date and the judging panel and for tonight. And I was just thinking in preparation for tonight, guys, ahead of tonight, what what, what have I learned uh, about things? Um, and I was trying to sum it up in one word. And actually, the word that I picked was visibility. Visibility in and around diversity, visibility in and around inclusion, accessibility, and actually mental health as well. These are areas that needed to be at the fore, but actually weren't to the fore. And I think we've all learned a lot together. And given that we're looking ahead on this particular panel tonight, maybe, Joe, if you don't mind that I start with you. But if, if I take your perspective what do you see your key learnings have been from lockdown, but more importantly, looking forward? What 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 do you take away from the period of remote learning that we've had, Joe? Okay, so um, I think we were we were quick to talk about ourselves as if we were suddenly engaging in proper teaching and learning in a digital sphere, but it, I think we were coping, and that's what mm-hmm. we were doing at first. And so what I'm taking away is, yes, fabulous opportunity. We've still got an issue with things like digital poverty and inaccessibility, so we cannot ever forget that. Um, But for me, it's about um, if we're going to continue to make use of all the digital tools we've had access to, it's about proper design of that. Mm -hmm. It's not about simply flipping the existing pedagogy from the classroom into that space. Um, We kind of managed in that way but properly well-designed, remote, distanced, hybrid, digital learning. I think that would be my thinking at the moment. And, and Jimmy, I'm just thinking about you in terms of C learning. Obviously, you, you mentioned earlier you've rolled out thousands and thousands of, uh, of Chromebooks and thousands of licenses. Uh, that's probably underestimating the number, but that, is, that, is that where the challenge is now? Do you feel going forward is a challenge? Right now we've done that part. Now it's time to actually facilitate the teaching and learning part. Is that a, a takeaway for you? I've done the hard part or is the hard part ahead? Uh, no, I think the hard part's probably ahead, actually, Paddy, and perhaps we'll dig into that in more detail as the conversation develops. I mean, I just think going back to the previous sort of uh, point of where you started in terms of some lessons maybe and things like that from the last year, in some ways you'd expect uh, everyone in my team and our team to be sort of um, – Uh, very, very used to working in this online distributed world that we're in. And we are in one sense. But one of the real things that's hit me in the last year is that when when in in a given day, you might have multiple back to back video calls, one after another, after another. 
I, I'm a person who spent 10 years being really used to this, and I've been exhausted and burnt out and really, really feeling the impact of this. And yeah. I can see how if we don't develop some protocols for looking after our health around this in terms of making sure we're disciplined, we're taking breaks, making sure we're checking in with each other just to see you know, how people are doing, establishing some protocols around not having back-to-back video calls, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't know how some teachers have coped with that, to be perfectly honest, because it's not always possible for a teacher to juggle the, the teaching schedule in a way that gives them breaks between different lessons mm-hmm. and things. And I, I can only imagine how exhausting that's been. So I think one of the takeaway lessons there is definitely around mental health and, and just good practice, if you like, around, around so many online sessions. And Boogie, you were nodding away there at that, um, particularly I noticed around the mental health part. Is that one of your key takeaways? Absolutely, definitely, the mental health aspects. Um, But also um, about parental involvement as well. I think it's really key and how we need to, you know, continue with that and remember to bring our families on board. So not making assumptions about access, as Joe's already mentioned, you know, with regards to the digital divide, but skills. We found that families really want to be involved, but they need to know they need to be trained up and I think that needs to be woven into what we actually move forward with and just a slight um, uh, slight diversion with regards to this parents evenings you know you don't have to come on site and wait <laughs> a hour you know hours parents evenings can be done more effectively and more efficiently in a remote sense and I really think that has to stay. So do you think Al in your experience I, with I, any of your multiple hats on have you seen efficiency being a takeaway from that? Just thinking what Bookie said there. And I, I totally agree with you on parents' nights. On one hand, my wife is a teacher enjoying parents' nights and me as a parent sitting enjoying parents' nights at home. Fabulous. Um, but I'll, as efficiency, has is, is that been a takeaway from, uh, from lockdown? I, I think like all these things, everyone's on a bit of a journey. I mean, when we think about the, the impacts, the natural persuasion is to get drawn to the, the teaching and learning conversation. But actually one of the most key commodities that we've had to factor and manage is being time. And that links into all the other topics everyone's mentioned. And I think, you know, never more than the last 18 months, it's that that kind of sense of, you know, um, sometimes you, you have to be put in a position that you absolutely don't want to be in to actually mm-hmm. convince yourself that we are able to handle significant change and, 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 and adapt as we need to. You know, and I think many of us, you know, the Edge of Futures is a perfect example of been advocating about different approaches to the adoption of digital and how it can improve both, you know, teaching and learning, but work-life balance and, and, and other strands. Yeah. And we've always felt we haven't got time. Now, this isn't yeah. the way to figure out you have, but you know what? We managed to do it. And actually, if you look at that alongside all the day-to-day business of running schools, you know, I think the education profession has been amazing how it's covered those two strands, which then yeah. ties into the point about let's not lose that skill we've acquired. I, I think it's just amazed me in every interaction I've had the adaptability of our educators and how they've really grasped it. You know, working in ed tech like many of you for so long, you know, sometimes ed tech can feel like a little bit of an uphill battle getting everybody on board. That's only for a set amount of people in the school. And suddenly overnight, um, teachers just got so adaptable and embraced so much change and change being the big word. Um, Lawrence, just over to you, uh, just on, on the same theme. And Joe, I know you mentioned skills there earlier and and that's, that's a, a big drive from you, Lawrence, in general. But... Have you felt, in terms of your takeaway, have we a skills deficit there? Have we increased our digital skills appropriately? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I'm going to come to that just in a moment because there's one thing that I just wanted to point out as well that I want to express was that one of the things that I take away from lockdown was actually empathy. 
and actually mm. empathy for parents, for teachers, for students, and just taking a moment to reflect on that. And it brought a lot of things to the forefront. For example, the lack of diversity across many things that we're doing. And it actually forced people to have that conversation as mm -hmm. well. And um, we talked about skills as well. And I think there are two types of change. There's forced change, and then there's that organic and want go get change as well. And I think with um, the lockdown, there's a lot of people were like, right, actually, I need to know my digital skills. But also what we found out is that we thought, because they're teenagers, they're millennials, they have digital skills, right? Yeah. And that sometimes just relates to a console, but actually the simple things of sending an attachment with a subject heading. So actually going to your point in terms of a skill deficit, I think that has been shown that actually young yeah. people don't have those digital skills and it's a thing in the news mm -hmm. at the moment. And I think that's something that actually has been a good thing to come out of this, of seeing how vital digital skills are. Yeah. And do you, do you think, Lawrence, I mean, I think we all we all hopefully know the answer to this in going forward, but do you think that technology and its use and the takeaways that we've learned in terms of integration of technology, is that here to stay? Is that not going backwards in your mind? And therefore, are those skills even more important today and going forward as we head into the future? I think they are here to stay, but only if people are given the right support to make them stay. I think that's the yeah. most important thing. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy, you're nodding your head there. What What's the right support look like? Well, for me, I think it's about sustained ongoing coaching and development. I I mean, our, our world is changing so fast, isn't it? And, yeah. and I do think the change is here to stay, not least because, as I read somewhere, you can't uninvent the internet, can you? You know, I mean... Uh, a lot of people, for nostalgic reasons or just habitual reasons, will do their best to try and cling on to the past. But if you just look at history, we all know how that plays out, you know. Um, and, and I kind of feel sorry for people who try and do that because I think their journey is going to be a tough one because they're just fighting against the inevitable. I think the real question is in what ways is technology being impactful? You know, and it's got to be about the learning and it's got to be about people. I've always said that technology, I only get excited about technology if it's simple to use and makes your life better. I don't get excited just because the new latest thing is promising to revolutionize the world, you know. So I think it's got to be impactful, and I think we've got to use it wisely and intelligently, but it's, it's going to be a part of our landscape now. And I think as we move forward, maybe we all stop talking about e-learning and just start talking about learning. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, that's what it's about and it's all about people and how we learn and i think the, the the examples of where technology has worked the best is where it brings us together and when i look back at um <clears throat> excuse me some of the best things that i've seen come out of the last year sort of 2020 there's some great examples i was i saw the head teacher of gray rig primary school up in cumbria kirsty she was talking about how they use technology to make sure people could be brought together and saw it as a widening participation and widening access tool as well in new ways. And I think that's that's amazing. I think there's huge potential around that to, um, you know, to, to, to bridge that divide for people who may not always be able to come together in person, you know. And I think there's some great stuff around that, but I think we have to focus on the learning and focus on people and how technology can bring us together in sensible ways that have an impact. I think, Jimmy, <clears throat> excuse me, those, uh, the, the slight change in word that you used there, e-learning, let's not talk about e-learning, let's talk about learning, <clears throat> excuse me, is something that I've seen across the board. So, <clears throat> excuse me, 
where we were talking about accessible practice, we talk about good practice. Where we were talking about assistive technology, we just talk about technology. And these are small ways that language has changed over lockdown that I hope should better reflect um, uh, as we go forward. And and Joe, I just I maybe wanted to pick up with you in terms of that sustainability of technology. Where does the CPD uh, uh, model change uh, within that going forward? Do you feel versus what it was perhaps before uh, before remote learning times? Does it um, change think, or does well, it adapt? I think it adapts really. So, I mean, everyone has obviously invested so much more time in mm-hmm. um, digital skills, digital pedagogy, and and we're no different in that in terms of. Um, I suppose putting small chunks, micro learning out, re- making things really accessible, staff and a- you know able to um, get to the things that they need to know quickly, really. So yeah, I, I mean, I think there's got to be, uh, there will, there will be um, lots more of that. Um, but I, can I come back to something else that we were talking about? Of course, yeah, about? yeah, yeah. So Buki was talking about um, parents, um, you know, evenings, parents and carers evenings. Well, we work with sixteen to nineteen year olds largely, and you might think, well we would get perhaps slightly less engagement than you might get in early years in primary. We saw a huge increase in parental engagement. And so our staff um, were landing via teams into the, uh, you know, into the lounges, the living rooms of, of families across the borough. And the whole families were sat there on the sofa, you know, to be engaged in that conversation. Yeah. I, I think that's tremendous. So we will definitely be keeping some of that in our opening events and, you know, and, and be able to see the campus and and and, and meet with people uh, digitally. So there'll definitely be things that we keep that maybe you may not have thought of with the age groups that you know we engage with. And yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and funny from our own perspective uh, at Textup, one of the things that we found when we constantly kind of surveyed what 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 do we need to be doing better to support you through remote learning, the one thing that keep coming up was help our parents more help our parents more because we saw the parental involvement and Al, I, I don't know did you see that through the multi-academy trust and stuff that you're involved in is that a pattern that sort of repeat has repeated across the country you know I think when, often the, the natural question is so what were the big wins what are the things that we can take away from the lessons yeah. we've learned and number one not necessarily intentionally but came by a process of, of adapting I would say a head and shoulders in many ways was the communication that we fostered and developed further with families and our community. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly when we think about the hard to reach families, those families that we want to have that closer relationship with that accessibility and that continued communication actually developed, you know, and ironically, we've also had staff within school saying that often by the nature of work balance and pressure, they were coming into school, into their area and they were in their silos for, for want of a better term. And actually the deployment and whether you're a Teams or a Google platform, <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't really matter. But actually they fostered not only those professional channels, but the back channels that were able to kind of support the, the, the emotional support and well-being amongst peers. And actually the technology meant that the geography wasn't a barrier in terms of developing and building that communication. You know, and I think across all strands within schools, whether it's from the use of websites in primaries to deliver some of their lessons and, and, and objectives for children to the tools we put in place i think communication is a real one that we've, we've learned some really really strong lessons from yeah but of course the challenge with many of the things that it you know we've all said there and i think lawrence you mentioned it at the outset and boogie definitely did as well 
is that equity of access piece. And that I talked about visibility at the start. And visibility, it was very clear to me that we saw we learned lots of things. And one of the most obvious things that we need to champion at a higher level is this equity of access. Um, and Bookie, have you like what's your view on that? Is that something that collectively as a nation we need to address? Is that I mean, oh, how do you how do you how do you view that equity of access? Because that it's been stark and apparent, and those are the students that have lost out over all of these great positives that we've been talking about today. Yeah, it has to continue. And I think there needs to be a wider remit in terms of who has access to it. So this time last year, it was, you know, year 10s going into year 11s and it was like a criteria, but it meant that you had swathes of young people who missed mm. out completely, who are still in the same position, you know, as they, you know, as they had their teacher assessed grades and things like that. So I just think it needs to be an ongoing discussion. It's not, and it's not an easy one either, which, uh, but it requires investment. There's no getting away from that. If they want, if, you know, if there is to be a serious change in terms of ensuring that um, our most disadvantaged students, and they could be disadvantaged in various ways, get the access to the quality of teaching and learning that we know can actually happen through distance learning, there needs to be a serious, well thought through and well considered plan to implement this, and also a serious investment of money. I, otherwise, I just think it's piecemeal. And and just to just to put it into context, I'm really glad that there were students, you know, last year and also again at the start of this academic year that got access to those devices. So I'm not knocking that at all. It just needs yeah. to continue and it needs to be a wider remit. Do you think, and I'll, I'll throw this open to anybody who wants to answer it, do you think we need to be a nation that is a, effectively a one-to-one nation? Is the, is the drive here that we should be providing a device for every single student in every single um, uh, element of education? Uh, and I'm happy to hear from anybody on that, what your viewpoint is. Can, well, can I jump? Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry, Jamie, um, forgive me. Sorry. Um, just, just, can I jump into that? Sorry. I think the opportunity for one-to-one needs to be there. And again, you know, it's it's a massive ask, but you could do it, for example, I'm just thinking that, you know, where you've got particular year groups or students um, who require it, they may need it, you know, have devices maybe for a particular period of time, could be a year or two, that then is actually passed on to, you know, preceding years that are coming through the ranks, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But going back to what Lawrence said about, so long as they are using it to develop those skills, obviously teaching and learning, as Jamie said, is essential. But secondary yeah. to that, but also important, are the digital skills. So, so long as they actually have access to users' digital skills and beyond their time in, say, like secondary school, uh, colleges, university, they continue to use those skills for life because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. I think that there's no issue with that, and therefore you could you could get more life out of devices that are with students or young people for a period of time, but then is actually passed on that way. Yeah. Can I just jump in because I don't think anybody's sure, mentioned sure. it. For for us, we were saying it was less about device and more about data. So we were having to make sure that you know students could access the data, or they had the the funds, or you know the equipment. Yeah. In terms of that, that was more of an issue for us. Most students would have at least a phone or something like that. But it doesn't mean to say that they could you know access stuff. And sometimes they would be camera off to um, you know try and help with that situation or their internet connections and things like that well then that was limiting the kind of interaction that they could have in lessons so there's that side of it as well it's not just about a device I think there was an interesting um uh well it's it's not even interesting it was quite quite 
innovative and ahead of the curve in Scotland. I don't know of those of you who have heard of the Connecting Scotland programme, but the Connecting Scotland programme had a very simple mission, which was let's get everybody online in whatever way that was. Is that through data cards? Is that through mobile phones? Is it through SIMs? Uh, and in many of the local authorities that certainly I worked with during lockdown, they, they did achieve that and even managed to achieve it with a surplus of funds almost because it was incredibly well funded. Um, and then you've got you've got a change in politics in Scotland, and now um, the Scottish executive looking at a laptop for every child kind of process in there. And I think that's kind of that is ahead of its curve. And obviously, it's a much smaller region, a much smaller territory uh, than England, as an example. But but that that is that is a vision statement right there in both ways. Everybody connected and everybody with a device. Whether that's achievable for all of us, I don't know, Joe. Uh, no, but I, I was just saying, but uh, learning doesn't just end at sixteen, though. So, yeah. um, you know, let's. What about the what about the adult learners? Um, so we had lots of adult students who who struggled yeah. both in terms of devices and data. It, it, you know that there's more there's yeah. more uh, spheres of learning. Yeah. 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 I think I think that 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 I think for all of us, I would you know that equity of access piece applies to connectivity just as much as it does to to devices. And Jamie, you were going to jump in there, I think earlier, just on the on the device. yeah, it it it's, it sort of segues nicely from the last point that Joe was making, really about this isn't just about giving people a device because as much as I I really like the idea of uh, us being a one to one kind of nation, and especially calling my company if they want help with that. Um, but on a serious <laughs> note. On a serious note, one of the real lessons from last year is, for me anyway, is is um, how the education sector is about, uh, it's not just about handing a device and away you go and that's learning taken care of. Because one of the real lessons, of course, is that schools and colleges and universities are providing a safe and secure and appropriate learning environment in which to use that tool. I heard from students last year who were in noisy, busy, or inappropriate sort of family environments where they couldn't really use the device that they'd been given properly, or there were other issues as well. So I think, as Joe was saying, it's a much more complex and bigger issue than going, here's a million devices being handed out, and we've solved somehow solved you know, uh, yeah. learning uh, from different, different locations. Yeah, it, it absolutely has to be thought through from end to end in order to achieve that. And Lawrence, one of the, one of the things you'd have to think through end to end is obviously that that potential skills deficit there. How what would your vision be? You know, if we were in a a, a nationwide program for devices, support, connectivity, all of the things that we've talked about, how what would your vision be to upskill uh, students across the UK? Uh, I'll just do That's the headline of what what would be my um, skills that would free digital skills training for all parents. That would be my first okay. thing in terms of engaging them to be able to support their um, young people at home because we found yeah. that that was one of the big issues of like parents wanted to get involved but didn't know how to support, didn't know bits about the device, the most simple things. But I just think just going back a bit is we talk about maybe the one-to-one -one devices and stuff like that and the underserved communities, but I think what one young footballer has done well is actually being able to talk about that of actually saying that mm -hmm. I'm from a community that needs help. And yeah. I think that's the first step of actually it being okay for parents or students to say, I do need help. Because yeah. there is that bit of like, actually, I don't want my child to be known as a student that needs help. So it's getting rid of that taboo and actually allowing people to access all these resources and pointing them in the right direction as well. And just to add to that, is with the parents evening that was mentioned earlier, I did a support session for a school where they did university and apprenticeship talks. 
Now on the live stream, there were only nine parents who were watching it live. By the next morning, there had been 150 views. So what that tells me is that parents do want to get engaged with parents evening talks, but actually there's some things where they can't come to parents evening because they can't get the time off work. They cannot afford to do so. So I think it's also understanding from the other flip side of that. So I think that's one of the benefits of actually having some of these streams made on demand for parents to get involved as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think parents are so and have been so appreciative of that. And, and you know, that's been a, that's been a big enabler to, getting that connectedness that we've needed for oh so long between families and between schools um so certainly that's been that's been incredibly important and Lawrence do do you think just just to pick up on that do you think that one of the takeaways therefore from lockdown or let's the wider pandemic that empathy piece you talked about at the outset has that given communities that you've talked about individuals that you've talked about perhaps traditionally underserved has it given them more of a voice I think it has given them more of a voice, but I think it's that there have been a lot of things that have come out of this to give mm-hmm. them that voice. Of There actually have been groups or places where actually they feel they belong as well to go and voice their opinion, and then other yeah. people in that group who have the platform to uplift their voices too. So that's what okay. I think definitely has come out of that as well. So we need champions everywhere um, as we go forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone yeah. needs someone advocating for them. That's one of yeah. my main things in life there. Absolutely. And I'm trying to, I'm thinking again, moving forward, and I'm going to come to you on this one. I'll, you know, we've heard of, we've heard of lots of positives and opportunities there. How do we make sure as educators and as part of the wider education industry that we don't hit a brick wall? So we don't, we don't all go through and we're all in our, our social reset. We're all at events. We're shaking hands. We're all visiting schools. Uh, and everything goes back to zero. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen and that we grab a hold of the opportunities that have, have come our way? Or are they are they just going to stay regardless? Because we've, we've got to leverage these. How do we do I, it? I think history's shown that, um, you know, you either use it or lose it in many t- cases when it comes to confidence with technology. And confidence ultimately is the long-term driver about whether you get a certain tool out of the cupboard and put it in front of your, your learners on a consistent basis. I suppose, you know, there's, there's lots of different strands and I'm sure many of my peers here would, would articulate from their own experiences. You know, the number one thing is the way that you move in a direction with your adoption of digital is never about find as many things to do. And that's been alluded to before and try them all. It's actually about less is more, finding those key building blocks and finding ways to evidence impact. And that confidence mm-hmm. then inspires you to want to push for more of that technology and also to justify the expenditure in developing that forward. So it is about steps in the right direction. It's not a race who can get there first. And I think that's that's definitely key. The big one I think everyone's already pointed to before, which is that confidence bit comes down to not that, you know, for a week before the, the season and using the football analogy, does everybody get training and then they're off for the, the season playing playing all their matches? There needs to be that consistent and regular CPD. Certainly mm-hmm. across our trust and other trusts that I've been involved in, that flag bearer idea of identifying within the teams, the staff who have confidence in particular tools, whether that means it's spreading the load or making that accessible is really cool, is really, you know, is a really useful way of developing that. And also, and I think teachers are probably best, better than most professions, but by the nature of being a very reflective practice, is actually it's fine to hold your hand up and say, we tried these things because we needed to, and it didn't work. 
You know, it's yeah. not, we've, we're committed for life on this. We need to constantly be revisiting and making sure things are still fit for purpose. It's funny you say that, Al, because that whole thought of, there's two things come in from the business world in this that, that I think teachers are doing without actively thinking about it. And that's, um, don't be afraid to move fast and break things. I think we all did that during the pandemic. And and everybody went, oh, you know, it's not too bad if we break something, we can just move on and, and change the narrative or change how we approach things. And also, from a speaking from a technology point of view, you know, we've we've sat there for for years and we've done our agile development. And agile development is really do things fast, put it in front of the user, figure out if they like it, and if not, change it. And and that's that's oversimplifying it. And I am sure we'll get torn down on Twitter over that oversimplification. But the reality is, the reality is that for our educators. We we have become more and more a nation of educators that are able to do that and reflect and also pull out data, for example, that they can access and we can fix things with data. But but to keep moving forward and being adaptable rather than just sticking in this linear linear path that we just we had to be on because we were told we had to be on it. Um, you know, and, can I just say, Paddy, the point that you made yeah, there, I think, right. which is really important in this discussion, other than that, that you're right about sometimes it's okay to take risks because that's the way mm-hmm. you discover. <clears throat> the key thing in terms of that agile developers and what many of us as vendors in the space and work in education have learned is actually the effective way is that you put it down and co-produce with your mm-hmm. with, the, with the educators that actually you're not trying to second guess what they might need. You're either involved and you've got an ear to the ground or frankly you're shooting in the dark and people haven't got the time to have to work that out as the end user. Yeah, and it's funny you say that. Al. I was in a I was in a conversation uh, just two days ago, uh, and I got a, a cheer when I simply said, uh, "All ed tech companies have to remember is that it is in the word ed tech, and uh, that they have to put education first and technology second, and <laughs> the clue is in the name." <laughs> and so, so let, let, let's focus on it that way. And I think that's been an important takeaway. And again, speaking as a company, we, we have had to continue to be innovative and continue to develop but we haven't had to do it from the perspective of a bunch of developers in a room where they've created up what they thought a teacher needed um, or what they thought an educator needed or that a student needed it's it's about listening and being responsive and i think collectively all of us have been doing that whether whether we're cognizant of it or not you know we've been uh, we've been very much um of that and i'll going to pick up on something you said i'm going to take it out to the panel here but you mentioned um a glorious word which is impact um, an impact as a word in general can get a lot of passion because sometimes it's used to over glorify or oversimplify a, a message, but it is singly the most important thing that we can all talk about. Do those tools, do does the learning, does the technology, does the CPD, does the pupil skills, does the uh, the voice that we've given to uh, uh, to communities, does it actually make an impact? And I'd really love to hear from any of you any particular stories of impact. And if you don't mind me starting, um, just to give you an example, today I was recording another podcast and the educator on the podcast said, I have a 28-year-old mature student, nursing student. She was studying maths and she was studying maths and she had always done it pen and paper. And now, of course, she was doing it online. And she found one button on one tool that helped her read maths, right? Simple as that. That's all it was. And it wasn't one of our tools, just to be clear. Um, uh, So uh, she was able for the first time to understand maths in a clear way with clarity, just by finding and discovering that one button on a Chromebook. Discovering that and having that maths represented to her slightly differently 
and the the uh, the student was in absolute tears about it because for the first time in her entire education maths became clearer to her through that simple access tool and it doesn't have to be about massive impact and literacy rates rising by 154%. You know, it does not have to be about that. For me, it's about those individual stories that we hear. And I'm interested from any of you just of individual stories or collective stories that you've heard in terms of impact uh, we can take away from lockdown. Bookie, you were first to flick yeah. on your... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about... Straight in there. Because this is one of the the fantastic things, you know, for working in a special school. I was worried. I made it really clear, you know, when we first went into lockdown, I was genuinely worried about the impact of students who need consistency and who need to, you know, we need to continue the rapport, you know, having the teachers support them in their learning and doing in a way that, um, you know, ties in with their learning was key. And I, I wasn't quite sure how it's going to work. And we had some some of the impact we had was the fact that students could make a decision about whether they would actually come online to have the lessons with the teachers or access the resources in their own time. And that then helped to reduce their anxiety. And that's so key because of a lot of the young people, the anx- their anxiety levels are so low that it, it's a block to them actually being able to engage with the learning. And it was so powerful to see students who I would have described you know, when you're teaching them face to face, it's quite apathetic and quite passive, suddenly owning their learning and coming alive. And I was a little bit thinking, oh, maybe because the families have been involved. But when I had conversations with them on a one to one basis, it was it was quite clear that they really enjoyed you know, working in this particular way because they had ownership over it. They could, you know, they could look at a subject and go into it as much detail as they wanted. And, you know, and we had various ways in which they could actually demonstrate their learning as well. It gave them the option. So the impact, I think, is quite novel. And I have to say that because being involved with EdTech for so many years, one of the things I always ask is, you know, what, or I get asked as a senior leader, what impact will it actually have on grades? And I think that we need to look at a differentiated approach about, differing levels of impact that give indicators of positive successes through the use yep. of tech. Yep. I, I, I love that you brought the grades piece in there and we'll, we'll keep with that track in a little second or two, I'm quite sure. Um, uh, Joe, anything from you in terms of impact? Is there any one student or stories collectively? Yeah, students you can think? absolutely. So for me, it's about the accessibility. So um, I'm thinking about one of our access to HE students who suffers from it's chronic illness, really. And over the years, she'd had a few false starts at trying to get through um, some level three you know, study. Um, this year, of course, she had um, the equipment. So when she went into hospital, she was actually joining us from the hospital bed, you know, still coming into the classroom. I mean, you know, testament to her that she was still doing it. But a simple thing that had just never happened before. Now, she will finally um, gain that qualification this year. So for me, it's about accessibility. Yeah. And definitely, I would love um, to add to that as well. I think even myself, it's got me thinking about going back into teaching because now I can work remotely now. It's proved that it can be done. There's not that massive taxing on my body to say, oh, I'm missing a lesson, I'm doing a disservice to the kids, you know. So I'm thinking of going back in part-time. But I think the big impact that I received during the lockdown was the careers fair that I ran last year. Now, it, it it was done in two weeks. We put together in two weeks. But the response that we got from some of the students and parents um, tweeting me, DMing me, was just amazing in terms of that 
my daughter never really engages with this. She wakes up every time, she's a school refuser, wakes up every time at 9 a.m. and is on the stream. And she was asking so many questions left, right and center. And that gave her an opportunity to engage with people and professionals that she might not have got the opportunity to do so if that was a face-to-face -face setting as well. Amazing, amazing. Jimmy, any, any stories from your perspective? Yeah, uh, there is. Um, I think the one that probably springs to mind is, is a relatively recent one, uh, a, a young chap called Jacob, who's a, a student in a very large uh, college group called RNN. And he was providing some feedback to a colleague of mine at Sea Learning about the difference that technology had made to him during the lockdown, because this had come up in conversation and to hear the feedback firsthand from him. And he's a student who's had a lot of additional challenges, challenges, if I can put it that way, in terms of uh, access to learning. Um, he's, had, he's got a lot of additional challenges. But uh, the technology, because it was uh, platform agnostic technology, it just worked on any device and it enabled him to still connect with his peers even though he wasn't in the college necessarily all the time, that social connection made a profound difference to him. And he, and to hear how grateful he was to have that tool available. Uh, it makes you wonder what it would have been like in 2020 if we hadn't had those tools available. Um, and just by way of a couple of final comments from me as well, just going back a, a couple of steps into the things that we were discussing, because we mentioned about impact and, um, I wonder how much of these wonderful things that have come out of like some of the good good impact that we've had uh, from 2020 would have happened if we'd had to have evidence of it in advance. Uh, the, re the, reason, the reason I say that is because often when we allow impact to become the dominant focus of our thinking, it can actually kill innovation stone dead. Because innovation by its very nature requires uncertain outcomes, which means you have to be prepared for things to go wrong. <laughs> and I think yeah. one of the great things for me about 2020 that I will always look back on, and I think as the years pass, we're going to look back on 2020 very differently, maybe to having just gone through it. Uh, but I, I think one of the best things for me was the exemplary way that educators across schools, colleges and universities dropped all egos and dropped all sense of competition and came together online in an unprecedented way, sharing resources, connections, uh, helping each other in a way I have never seen in all of the decades I've been working in and around education. I, I think, yeah, Jimmy, the, the term sharing good practice just took on a whole new level during the pandemic. Like that's what it was supposed to be like. And it really was. And thankfully it continues to be. And I think there's lots of platforms of have sprung up, sprung up around that. It's also interesting that you say about that would these tools have been adopted had there been evidence of impact? And for those of you who know me, you know, I, I work for, for text help. And there's many occasions where you'll talk to a multi-academy trust or a school and they'll say, okay, but what percentage does your tool improve the literacy rate in the school? And I'll go, well, recent reports say 3.4% and you'll, and the stats will be there. And that, that was pre-pandemic. See if you analyze use of say an accessibility tool. It doesn't matter whether it's ours or anybody else's. And you're able to show, actually, just by giving it to them during the pandemic, see those few people, those few students, those those 5% of dyslexic students you thought you had would only ever benefit from this particular tool. Do you realize that actually 60% of your students started using this tool without you prompting them, without you asking them? And they must have. Students, I don't know in your experience, guys, but students in my experience will only use things if they're of benefit to them. They won't use them for the sake of using them. If they get something out of it, they'll use it. And if they get help and assistance, they'll use it. And, and I wonder, um, just maybe finishing off on this point with Al, 
and reflecting on what Jamie said there and what I've said, do you think that has changed that adoption rate of tools? Do you think, and we talked about it earlier, you know, our, our, our schools that you're working with, um, uh, our multi-academy trusts that you work with, are they more open to trying new things going forward? I think it depends. I'm like everything, you know, there's never one size fits all and, and, and different schools are at different points and different departments. I think what absolutely is the case is for the right reasons, people went, went, went out and embraced a lot of solutions, March, April last year, um, particularly um, in for all the right reasons to try and deliver. Some of those worked well, some didn't. Now that partly is a reflection on the ed tech sector, which is sometimes the glossy brochure needs to have a bit more substance behind and I think it's, a, it's that, it's that co-production and that kind of setting expectations because for, for many tools, they're, they're simply a facilitator. So we're measuring impact in terms of time. And as Jamie alluded to, in yeah. terms of engagement in other tools, we're talking about direct impact on, you know, actual learning outcomes. And I think the, one of the risks is not to become too prescriptive because, yeah. you know, I like many on uh, edge futurists, you know, I, I think the UK has got a really vibrant ed tech sector. But if we force it down the path that until you can prove it works, you can't use it. Well, how do we foster those startups? How do we foster those teachers that want to step away from the classroom and actually take and create new solutions? We've got to yeah. find that happy medium that means it, it works for all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up and it's been so I, I told you we could turn this into much, much longer than 45 minutes. And I do get the feeling that we could all stay here quite happily all night and keep talking. But let's put uh, let's pretend we are the magical trio that is edgy futurist at this point in time. Let's 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 uh, play act up the edgy futurist and let's do one word answers uh, just for these last couple of questions. Um, and and Boogie, I think I know what you're going to say this. So I'm not going to start off with you, but. Here's what you've got. You've got, you can only answer this in one word. What is the one thing that you hope changes going forward um, based on what we've learned? Just one word. You only allowed one word. I'm going to start and steal, and I'm going to say the word exams. Okay. And that's only because I'm chair. I'm allowed to take that important one because I think it's important that we revamp exams and reconsider where we are. So I'm just going to go round the clock uh, and I'm going to go to Lawrence first, who's looking very worried there, Lawrence. One word. What, what do we change going forward? I'm a rule breaker, so I'm gonna go for social mobility. Sorry, that's that's not rule breaking. That's the right answer. <laughs> Love it, uh, Bookie. One thing, one word we change. ITT initial teacher training. More than one word. Making sure that we have robust distance learning, remote learning strategies incorporated into the training of our future teachers. Brilliant, Al. Well, I guess I'm going to be the rebel as well. Funding. that's another 45 minute chat right there (laughs) absolutely right joe Uh, my word would be inclusion so changing what that looks like less about accommodation of more about celebration of championing of inclusion yeah um and joe for me it's uh, going forward it's about universal design as well within that that we start from the start and we plan from that initial point to make sure learning is inclusive not not bolt on um sorry i had to get my two cents in on that one uh jimmy uh one word one thing <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna steal where we started with with you paddy and i'll say testing okay um, now we've still got our edgy futures hat on, but I promise it is the last question. And we've got one word again. And now we we obviously listened to uh, to Josh there earlier today, a fabulous keynote uh, at the event. 
Um, uh, and uh, I'm told we did go, our edgy futures indeed did go for Elon Musk, and apparently he was busy that day. I'm not quite sure what Elon was doing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a disgrace in this day and age that we can't get a track such high-quality keynotes. But thankfully, Josh stepped up. And, of course, Josh um, uh, is working on his very own moonshot there um, in conjunction with Elon uh, with the amazing school um, uh, they've created. So what's your moonshot? And, again, start with Lawrence. What's your absolute blue sky thinking? What's your vision? If we all meet together in 2024, what are, what are, what are we aiming for in the next three years? Lawrence? It's definitely not going to be one word. Um I think there will be a greater emphasis on learner agency to navigate through a complex and uncertain world. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Boogie? Greater use of technology, ed tech, to support flexible learning so that part-time stu- uh, staff or staff who work in various ways are still connected and included in the school community or the, the educational community that they're working in. Okay. Al, what's the moonshot? I guess it comes back to an earlier point. Equality of access, both connectivity, devices, it ceases to be a narrative. That's that's a given. And Joe? See, it's getting harder and harder now because... <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's left? I'm going to actually say about... I mean, this was what I'd like to see in 10 years, that kind of moonshot that academic and vocational was truly equal, properly, truly equal. Other countries seem to mm-hmm. do it, d- mm-hmm. achieve that so much more best, you know, so much more easily than uh, we ever have. So, yeah. And Jimmy? I, I, I guess my feeling is we'll see far greater personalisation in how people learn and far greater collaboration. Okay. And, and for me, my moonshot is uh, in the words of Stephen Hawking that we just keep talking because we've all learned so much here and we can't afford for the conversation to go away. We can't afford to literally go back to normal as much as we all want that in our regular lives, but we can't go back and reset the clock. Um, so I just want to extend my thanks to all of you guys uh, for joining me as part of the judging panel. Obviously, thanks to Edgy Futures for inviting us uh, to be part of that. And we're, I know we're I can speak for us all. We've been very privileged and fortunate to be part of that. Um, But what a panel to speak to tonight. I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you've all had a wonderful day, as I certainly have had. Lots to take away, lots to reflect on, and hopefully we've given people a few more things to think about as they wrap up this uh, this brilliant day with the team at Edge of Futures. So thanks to all of you, uh, and I hope I will see you again soon, and hopefully in the flesh, uh, where we can all shake hands or a hug, whatever works for you. I'll be there. So good night, everybody. And thanks to everybody for joining us uh, on this session for Edge of Futures.